Yeah, it's, it is an exciting time that we're in. It does feel like there were these prophetic words, and um, not everyone has the privilege of hearing how those prophetic words actually work, but it's been so many testimonies of God bringing things out of people's lives. And as we walk in those things, as we bring it to the light, as we repent, as we come into fellowship, God brings us into freedom, and that's actually His heart. It isn't the taking away, it's the giving of freedom that God wants for us. So that's why He's doing these things. So um, you can put it up for us. Those of you who weren't here last week, we started with a little series. Again, in Josh and we sort of do a series. If God says something else, we might cut the series and do something else. But we, we're doing a little series called um, Acts 29, where we're focusing on the early church, uh, the first 28 chapters of the book of Acts, Anderlinger, the, the Acts of the Apostles, which is the story of the early church, the birth of the church as we know it today. And we look at the story of an extremely healthy church that was born from 120 people that spawned into Christianity all over the world. And so God did a very significant thing there. And the heart is that as a church, we want to see the continuation of what happened in the early church, where the first 28 chapters that was written down in the Bible, we want to say, God, make us into the 29th chapter. Let us be those. It doesn't exist. There is no chapter 29. We are chapter 29. <laughs> to say, God, turn us into the people that look like the people that we read of in the Bible and, uh, and help us with that. So what we're doing is over the next couple of weeks, we're looking at a few values that the early church had, and we want to say, God, show us those values, put it in us so that we can look like those people. So we're speaking about obedience tonight, because let me tell you, if you go through the book of Acts, they were an obedient people. When God spoke, they really did listen. So when we look at the first 28 chapters of the book of Acts, here's one key premise that I want to start with. And that is that God was the one who built his church. If you open up your Bible, you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see that it was God orchestrating things. It was not cleverly made up human ideas. It wasn't like they had a hipster pastor in front and that made the church grow. It wasn't like they had lights and cameras and action and all of those things. That's not what made the church grow. They didn't advertise. They didn't print out leaflets. Not that there was such a thing, but... Uh, carve it out on stones and invite people to church. That's not how the church grew. The church grew by God doing it. And when we look at these people, we see that it was God doing something. This wasn't a human initiative. There is no way that Christianity that we know today came from a human initiative of 120 people that said, we are going to start this thing called Christianity. There's no way. It was all God that birthed Christianity. And all these people did, and that's what I want to get into us tonight, and all we need to do is, they let God be the boss, in a sense. They let him be the lead elder, the lead pastor, and they said, we submit and we obey. God, you are building your church. We don't want to get in the way with our clever strategies, because that's what us as human beings do. We just want to submit to what you are doing. And if we do that, we know that you are going to build your church the way that you want to do it. And now we get into the modern age where we are today. And we've become more clever than God, haven't we? We've, we've, we think as churches, as church leaders, that we've got better ideas of making the church work. The Bible is too, it was written too long ago, man. We can't obey the Bible only. We need to come up with our own clever ideas. And so we've got marketing strategies in churches today. 
where we think, how are we going to reach the area? Are we going to do a pamphlet drop? Are we, and I'm not saying those things are wrong per se, but if it's not God leading us, then it's actually wrong. We, we, let the, we, we put a pastor up there with lots of tattoos, because that's cool, and that's going to make the church grow. We get an incredible band. We employ full-time guys to come and do the worship ministry for us, because that's going to make the church grow. We keep the sermons 20 minutes, because have you noticed that people don't have a long attention span? Like you. And like me, because <laughs> we're just such a distracted generation. We make the worship palatable. We don't do one song for too long that people get bored and have to start thinking about what they're singing. We make it sound like the CD. If we can get it to sound like the CD, our church will grow. And so we come with, and we've got our welcoming teams. If people come in, it better be the friendliest faces that you've ever seen. And we've got these cleverly invented strategies that we think that is going to make the church grow. But you know, the plan that God had in the book of Acts 1 to 28 is the same plan that he wants in Acts 29. He says, I'll do it. I will grow my church. I will build my kingdom. All you need to do is listen. All you need to do is learn to obey. And I get that this sounds like that's only applicable to church leaders, but the church is built out of all of us. And it wasn't only the apostles that were an obedient people. Everyone was obedient. It was truly an obedient people that said, God, you do what you want to do. We are here to worship you, serve you. And we are lay down people. We are paralyzed in your arms, God. You do what you want to do. And let me tell you, if God can do that in us, if we can come become a paralyzed people, a people who say, God, you, you do what you want to do, I'm telling you, God will use you in ways that you've never thought possible. God will transform you in ways that you've never thought possible. If you can learn to put your own will aside and say, God, it's your will and not mine. Isn't that the prayer that Jesus prayed on the, on the cross? Let your will be done, God, not mine. That's the heart that needs to get into us. So what I'd love to do tonight is go through three, I believe, key scriptures in the book of Acts. It's primarily in the first half because then... Later on, it sort of becomes Paul's journey if you read through the book. So I'm going to take three portions of Scripture of radical obedience that I see in the book of Acts. And I want to say to us tonight, let's see what we can learn out of it. We want to go on a journey together and see, God, what can you teach us out of the book of Acts, out of their obedience and the fruit that their obedience bore, and put that in us. Amen? Okay, you ready? Oh, my hat. This is going to be a... A very long evening. It's a tough crowd. Are you ready? <clears throat> okay. So the first one, please don't go, oh, not the baptism topic again. But I'm going to speak about baptism quickly, but it's not only about, come on. <laughs> but it's not only about baptism. The first scripture is a portion that speaks about baptism. But if you can just bear with me for a little bit, because I want to take it a little bit deeper and actually speak about what baptism signifies. Because yes, I believe that God wants us to be obedient and be baptized. Hallelujah. If you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. That's, that's sort of straightforward. It's easy. It's in the Bible. But there's a deeper principle that I believe God wants to put into our hearts as we look at the scripture. So a little bit of context before we jump into Acts 2, verse 37 and 38. This is the birth of the early church, Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, wait in an upper room. I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go. Imagine that, Jesus saying, it's better that I go. Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. This group of 120 people, they have no idea what's about to happen. They're just obedient to God. 
they go to this upper room and they just wait. And they're worshiping God and seeking him and praying. And they've got no clue. For all they know, nothing's going to happen. But as they're waiting, as they're obedient, and listen, it took time. It wasn't like they just started worshiping and God came. They stayed in that obedience, in that place of obedience. And as they did that, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And I mentioned this last week. They started speaking in strange languages, the languages of the people around them. It was a festival. Someone corrected me last week. I was wrong. It was Pentecost, not Passover. They were there for Pentecost, which is 50 days, if I'm not mistaken, after the Passover feast. So they were there for this feast. And it was, Jerusalem was packed with people because just imagine how loud, if say we're 120 people, we're probably a little bit more. And how loud must it be for 3,000 people plus to hear the commotion that's going on in this hall? Think it has to be loud. This is like wilder than a party. We stay next to Clutusville. There was a party in Clutusville last night. Let me tell you. <laughs> it was karaoke, but those people could not sing. <laughs> It was rough. Could you hear it, Martha? Yeah, she's on the other side of the road. A bit further. She could hear it. It was wilder than Clutusville's karaoke, karaoke parties. That's how wild it was. 3,000 people started coming around this building saying, what the heck is going on here? I hear people speaking and shouting. And these, these, it looks like the building's burning because there's tongues of fire in there. I just don't know what's going on. And out walks 120 people looking like they're drunk for some reason. And up goes a guy called Peter. He's the most unlikely one to stand up and preach because he's the one that just a while ago denied Jesus three times. I don't know this guy, but he said, Peter stands up and he says to this group of people, it's 3,000 men, so that means it was at least like seven to 10,000 people standing there. And probably not everyone accepted the message, so let's make it 15,000 people. We're standing outside of this place. Peter goes up probably onto the roof so that people could see him. And he starts preaching. He says, people of Jerusalem, we are not, these people are not drunk as you suppose, but it is the Holy Spirit that came upon them, which is the promise that Jesus said he would send. And he gets into their faces. He says, this Jesus is the Messiah that you Jews have been waiting for. You waiting for a political ruler, that's not the case. Jesus came to save you from your sins and you crucified him. And as he's preaching this, these people, the Bible says, we're cut to the heart. Isn't that what salvation really is? You know, on a Sunday, it's so easy to say salvation is just a hand in the air. That's not salvation, let me tell you. Salvation is a heart in the air. <laughs> it's a heart that's cut. And that's what happened here. 3,000 of them had their hearts cut. And if real salvation comes across your life, like it did for these people, we're going to read it now, your next question will be, what do I do? Okay, God, you've touched my heart, now what? What do I do? So let's just jump into the story here. When the people heard this, Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, now listen here, he says two things, but he puts them together. He says, repent, meaning turn from your sins and be baptized. Number two, um, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So he says, just follow me here, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He does not say, now I'm going to get into the nitty gritties here, so put your thinking hats on with me. He doesn't say, repent for the forgiveness of your sins and be baptized. Now I'm getting into dodgy territory, eh? 
This is like, this is dodgy. Leonard, are you saying I need to be baptized to be saved? We'll get there now. <laughs> we'll get there now, what I believe. That's why I'm saying I want to go deeper than baptism just now. He doesn't say, repent, forgiveness of your sins, then be baptized. He says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, let me get out of the dodgy water here for a moment. <laughs> First, let me read you a scripture, Mark 16, 16. Just follow me here. You've, you better follow me. This is, I'll get to the point now, but you have to follow. Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. How interesting. Whoever believes will be saved. No? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay. But, next verse. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So he makes it right. He's like, okay. He puts them together. He clumps them together, baptism and salvation. But then he, only, he takes away baptism. He says, if you don't believe, you, you will be condemned. Okay, so he's sort of like, okay, no, I don't want to be dodgy. So I'll say that. What saves us? Believing. Faith. Repentance, right? Not baptism. However, true faith will always have an outflow of obedience. It will always have an outflow of obedience. So why biblically can these things be clumped together? Because there has to be an outflow of obedience. You know, the Bible says in James that even demons believe in Jesus. Have you thought about that? Are you a Christian on your Facebook or on your so when they do a census, what religion are you? Christian. Yeah, that's amazing because you believe in Jesus. Even demons are Christians then. Because even demons believe in, in Jesus. But what is it? It's a belief that flows over into obedience. That's salvation. That is true faith. There's this quote that says, we are saved by faith alone. It's an old quote. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Should I say it again? I've, I got one click, so I'll, I'll do it again. <laughs> we save by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will always be accompanied by obedience. So what does the Bible here say to us? It just says that the first step of obedience is baptism. And, and maybe this is difficult for you because you haven't been baptized, but I want to say to you, hey man, I don't think you need to be saved to be, to be, you need to be baptized to be saved. But I want to say, is there then real obedience to your salvation? That's something you must check in your heart. Otherwise, you must go check your salvation, actually. If it didn't lead to a changed life, if it didn't lead to true obedience. And so I feel like, for me, if we look for leaders in the church, and not only that, if we're discipling people in the church, if you haven't been baptized, then I say you missed the first step of obedience. That's the first thing. And how can God ask you to do anything else in his kingdom if you're not obeying the first thing he asks you? I get that in our country, especially Afrikaans people or from conservative backgrounds, we've got a confusion about these things. So I understand that. But I want to say, come on, it's so clear. Believe and obey. So what type of people were they? These, the 3,000, the first 3,000 that were added to the church, they were not a hesitant people. They were a people that said, I'm cut to the heart. What shall I do? Repent and be baptized? Okay. Okay. I'll do it. And as God sees you being obedient in the little, as he sees you taking the first step, then he says, if you're faithful in the little, I can entrust you over much. And he starts asking you for more. 
So as we start this journey and look at the book of Acts, I want to say, look at your obedience. If you're not being obedient, we need to repent. But what do you actually need to go back to? You need to go and ask yourself, where's my faith at? Because faith and obedience should walk hand in hand. If my faith is in a good place, if I'm loving God, if I'm excited about Him, if I'm giving myself, I'm going to want to obey the things that He asks me. John 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. Where's your love for Jesus? Where is it? Listen, this is not to condemn. It's just to say, hey, these people really loved God. Why did they love him? Because they were willing to do what he said. When you read your Bible, are you willing to say, God, I want to do it. When I read it, I want to do it. Or is it in the one year, out the other year? When you sit here and you listen to a sermon, Where's your heart? Is it like, cool, that's a good sermon? Or is it like, God, I want to do the things that your word tells me? When the leaders stand up and we encourage you of something, is it really your heart to say, God, because I love you, I want to obey your word? That's what we need to check in our hearts. Amen? Faith and obedience, they are coupled together. Don't let them become uncoupled. Don't think that I can have faith, but I don't have to do what God says. Dangerous territory. Lose your salvation. I'm just a joke, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not joking. <laughs> I don't know if I'm joking. It's like, honestly, I don't know where those lines go, but I know that if you stop being obedient, you start falling away from the Lord. Stay an obedient people. Second scripture, it just gets worse. It gets like, <laughs> it gets more, more hectic. But the Bible sometimes is hectic, but it's, from the outside, it looks like a heavy burden. When you carry it with Christ, it's a light burden. And the, the world doesn't understand that. They think we, we, we're following the system. And they're like, no, 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 you haven't tasted of Jesus. It's not a system. It's life-giving. Because I love him and I obey him, it's life-giving. So this is quite a hectic scripture. Many of us wouldn't believe that this is in the Bible because it sounds so anti the Jesus that we learn of um, in many churches and in, in many places where we learn about Jesus. Because, you know, we, we believe Jesus only yields. Do you know that Jesus can kill as well? <laughs> it's like in the New Testament, Jesus can kill as well. That breaks your box, eh? Like, how can a God of love do that? Well, uh, it's in the Bible. <laughs> so let's look at it. This is um, later on in the journey of the early church. And because there were many people that came from different regions uh, to, to come and stay there, and they wanted to serve God, God touched them. They wanted to start the early church in a sense. They said, well, because there are some people that left their homes, we need to sell whatever we have so that we can support this because what we have is not as important as what we have here with the birth of the church. And so we sell it, we bring it to the apostles' feet, and together they became a, a community that shared everything that they had. And then there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold a piece of land, and they brought most of the proceeds to the apostles. But they lied about the fact that they didn't bring everything. And God was upset about it. Do you think God was upset about the money? Like, oh, shucks, I need 200 rand more to put up the building. Oh, dang, that's bad. You think God was like that? Come on, people. You're like falling asleep there. I don't think that was God's problem. I think God's problem was obedience. That was why God was upset about it. Let's read it together. Um, Acts 5, verse 1 to 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, 
What's wrong? Oh. <laughs> also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, so God reveals to Peter. No one could have seen it. From the outside, it looked like he gave everything, but God reveals it to Peter. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money which uh, you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Listen to this key word here. You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The story continues and his wife comes. And instead of telling her that her husband died, they ask her the same thing. Did you keep some of the proceeds? And she lies. And the same thing happens. She falls down dead in front of them. Why, God? Why? Why would God do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Now listen, when that offering box comes around next time, I'm not taking change, right? <laughs> I'm not taking change. <laughs> I'm not putting in my 100 and taking out a 20. I like, don't want to take that chance. But like, I've never seen this happening. I, I really haven't. But God was trying to set a precedent so that we can learn from it generations later. I don't know if God will do this. I, I believe he can. It actually, we're going to take communion after this message tonight. It's actually a scripture that says, if you're not following God and you take communion, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And he says, some of you have died because of doing this. So I, I do believe in a God that can do these things, that can judge us for the things that we do. But, but mostly, I think he was trying to set a precedent. He was trying to teach us as his people a lesson. I'm going to tell you a story of the, just to make it, what I believe the lesson is. But I want to say, I think the big lesson here is that outward obedience is not enough. God wants obedience of the heart. Let's assume for a moment that Ananias and Sapphira, and I think it's a good assumption to make, that they were some of those people that, I don't know if they stuck up their hands, but they were some of the 3,000 or 5,000 or great multitude that got saved. Let's assume, because all of those people who said, I was cut to the heart, I want to be saved, all of them got baptized. Let's assume that they were baptized. In Acts 2, we read the accounts of how this church lived. Let's assume, and it's a good assumption, that they lived exactly the way that the rest of the Christians lived. Sacrificially, they worshipped, they prayed. They did all of those things. Outwardly, it looked perfect. But only God looks into our hearts. So firstly, God wants us to teach us that we need to be an obedient people because of our salvation. But secondly, God isn't looking for outward obedience only. Yes, Leonard, I'll do it because you asked. Yes, God, I'll do it because you asked, but I don't want to do it. God is saying, I want obedience of the heart. I see your heart. The rest of the apostles could not have known this, but God revealed it because there was an issue of the heart there, and it manifested itself. Here's a little story um, of a little boy that went to the dentist. And, you know, who dislikes going to the dentist, then, yeah? <laughs> I hate it. This is horrible. This boy, little boy, disliked it. He did not want to go to the dentist. And as he went to the dentist, his, he knew he had to do it, and his mom asked him nicely, so he's like, cool, I'll do it. I get a lollipop afterwards, so it's fine. I'll go to the dentist. And as he's there, 
the dentist puts him on the chair and he says, okay, now lay flat on your back. And he's like, no. I said, I'll come. I didn't say I'm going to be on my back while you work on me. That, that's not, I'm not going to do it. Sorry. And the dentist tries to speak to him. He says to him again, please, I need you to lay back down. Just lay down. The boy says, I won't do it. Sorry. You're not my mom. Can't tell me what to do. And the dentist gives up and he goes to the mom. He says, you're going to have to speak to this little boy. The mom goes to the boy and she says, my boy, you need to do it because he needs to work. Otherwise, he's going to cut your lip open. Just lay down. Just please do it. I'm asking you nicely. Please do it because you love me. And the boy's like, okay, come on, I'll do it. The boy goes back into the room. He lays down. He looks the dentist in the eye and he says, mister, I want you to know one thing. My body may, might be laying down, but my heart is standing up. <laughs> my heart is standing up. You know, that's actually, that's a good analogy of what's happening here. God doesn't want us to be those people. I come to church because it's the right thing to do. I tithe because it's the right thing to do. I have fellowship. I greet people afterwards. I look for visitors because it's the right thing to do. I go to community because it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, God wants us to come to a place where we give ourselves because we want to give ourselves. Because we trust Him enough that when He says it, we know that doing it will be the best thing for us. And so we give our hearts to Him. God is not looking for a slave, an outward obedient people. He's looking for a people who are obedient from the heart, saying, God, I want to do this. I want to serve you. I'm not going to come stand in front and worship because the leaders tell me to do it. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. I'm going to come to church because I want to do it. And what do you do if you don't want to do it? You still do it. I mean, <laughs> that's true. In the book of Revelation, uh, there's one of the churches Jesus writes to, and he says, you've forgotten your first love, meaning your heart has gone missing. You might be doing all the things, but your heart has gone missing. You know what his solution is? He says, repent and do the works you did at first. In effect, what he's saying is, if I'm standing here worshiping and I'm realizing, but my heart's not in it. I'm just doing it because that's everyone around me is doing it. I feel like I have to do it. I'm being outward obedient, outwardly obedient, but my heart is not doing it. What the Bible is saying to you is, man, keep raising your hand. In fact, jump up and down if that's what you did when you first got saved. And while you're doing it, trust God that he will change your heart. It's like getting on a treadmill and saying, oh, I don't want to be on the treadmill, so I'm going to get off. You're never going to get anywhere. You get on the treadmill and you run until you feel like it. <laughs> And you speak to yourself and you say, I'm running, come on, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. You remind yourself of why until you feel like it. And so that's what we should do in the kingdom of God. We should be obedient, but trust God that he brings our hearts in line. Am I making sense, people? Okay. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, that obedience which is not voluntary is disobedience. For the Lord looks at the heart, and if he sees that we serve him from force, and not because we love him, he will reject our offering. Yo, doesn't that cut to the heart, eh? Say, so if I do it because I feel like it's the right thing, but I'm not giving God my heart, he's not pleased with it. Oh, thanks, Ryan. That's cool of you. Thanks for putting it up. <laughs> Didn't know you, you had it there. Um, yo, our time is actually up. Hi, oh, hey, thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read you a last scripture. We'll go through this one quickly. And it's of a, a guy called Stephen. 
He was also, he was one of the first deacons in the book of Acts. And, you know, Stephen was a radical guy. He, he believed in God so much. He was obedient to God so much that it cost him his life. And I think the third lesson with regards to obedience that God wants to teach us is, are you willing to be obedient when it costs you something? Because true obedience, if you truly follow the Bible, you read it and you do it, you know what? It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It might cost you your girlfriend or your boyfriend for standing up because you know that God wants you to be obedient and not be in that relationship. It might cost you. It might cost you having to go off social media because you know that that's what God is asking you to do. Are you willing to do it? Or are you on Facebook because you need to remember birthdays? <laughs> Come on, that's not enough. <laughs> God is asking you to be off of it because it's a stumbling block, and I've spoken to so many of you. In the season that we are, people are coming out with things going on in their lives. Come on, man. That's not a big sacrifice. That's cutting off the little part of your pinky. It's like the, that's the smallest sacrifice you can make to get off of it. Write down the birthdays, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's not enough. It might cost you social media. I'm just going to skip the part. You can go read in Acts 7, verse 54 to 60 about Stephen. He was obedient to God. And because he was, they stoned him. They killed him. He was the first martyr for Jesus. And Jesus actually stood up off of his throne because he was so pleased with him. If you want God to be pleased with you, then be obedient no matter what the circumstances and no matter what the cost. You know, if you're obedient one day, it might cost you your job. It might cost you your job. I had a conversation with an elder from another church, not even Josh Chino 412, and he knows that he's dropping the ball in church and what God is calling him for because he's working ridiculous hours. And he needs to walk away from that job. He knows it. Being obedient to God might cost you a job. There might be dodgy things happening. You might be asked to do something illegal, to hide away tax. Listen, that stuff happens. You think it doesn't happen? I promise you it happens. You're going to see it happening. Are you willing to stand up for what you believe, even if it costs you something? It might cost you a leadership position. I know in Ray's Skulk Willem shared a beautiful story the other day. He said when he came to Stellenbosch, and he had to write down in his little book that the university gave him his, his um, objectives. He said, I want to be, I can't remember, you shared it in community. Um, uh, what's your leadership position that you can get in your first year in res? Whatever, like I want to be a leader in res in my first year, leader in res in my second year, and then prim in my third year. It's basically what he wrote. And he got there the first year, and I'm not sure if he got there the second year, but then God spoke to him, and God said, that's not what I want for you. And he had a choice to be obedient, and he's made that choice. And I'm telling you, that guy is pumping for Jesus. I saw him the other night. I'm like, what has God done in you? He's willing to lay it down, and now he's serving in the church, and he's a leader in the church. And he's like, this is what God is calling me for. It might cost you leadership position. It might cost you popularity. You know, I, th I think some of you are in hectic situations where there are so many ungodly things happening. People trying to drag you into sin. Are you willing to say no and be obedient to God? even if it costs you friendships? Are you willing to lay down your life for God, to be obedient to Him when it costs you something? Just as we end, you know, when we pray, and we're going to pray now, in Afrikaans, when I pray, I call God, Yera, Lord. Anyone else call God Lord? Now, when we call Him Lord, it should be a reminder that He's not only our Savior, meaning the one that gives us a ticket to heaven, but is our boss. He's the one that asks us to do something out of love, and therefore we should do it. If you call him Lord and you do not do what he says, you are lying. 
You're lying. We shouldn't be lying people, but say, Lord, if I call you Lord, please, God, I want to lay down my life for you. Let's stand.